From Libby Gardner Hall on the University of Utah campus, this is Highway 89. We are spending an evening with master keyboardist Richard Elliott. He is the principal tabernacle organist in the Salt Lake City Tabernacle and organist with the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. I'm sure you have a few questions pop into your mind just listening that we hope we'll ask some of those. Richard Elliott, thank you for speaking with us today. Thank you, Stephen. Great to be with you. You know, I'm going to give just a little bit more in-depth intro. You're a native of Baltimore, Maryland, a former student of the Peabody Conservatory, the Catholic University of America. You've earned your bachelor's from the Curtis Institute of Philadelphia, master's and doctoral degrees from the Eastman School. You have a good musical pedigree, let's say that. I guess so. I just got <laughs> lucky that way. It was nice to grow up in Baltimore and have some, some great institutions nearby, and, and uh, including the Baltimore Symphony. My parents were subscribed and so uh, that was one of the things that uh, gave me a, a, a taste for classical music when I was young. Did you always know you were into music? I read that you played in a band. Right. I, I loved all kinds of music, and I inherited that from my parents and my grandparents. Uh, they all loved all kinds of music. But I don't think I'd really decided to become a professional musician until I was well into college. I just started out thinking, maybe I can do this. But uh, it, w it wasn't until I was in my mid-20s that I finally settled down and thought, this is, really? this is what I'm really going to do. And was it organ? Uh, at that time? I, I actually majored in organ in, in, uh, as an undergraduate, thinking that I would become a studio musician and, and that I would play in a church on the weekends and then uh, uh, pound the pavement during the week looking for studio work. But then the organ just kind of caught hold and, and I decided that I really did love the instrument and wanted to make it my career. Lots of folks who will see you playing the tabernacle organ or the organ in the conference center in Salt Lake City know your skill. But I don't think everybody knows your sense of humor. So you have to confirm a story that I was told by a former choir member. Okay. <laughs> which was they were rehearsing for the Tabernacle Choir performance. You were at the organ. They started lowering the chandeliers to dust them, and you started playing bum, 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 the Phantom of the Opera theme. You've got it right, <laughs> except we actually we had the cast of Phantom there in the Tabernacle when that happened. It was on a Sunday morning, and they were performing at the Capitol Theater, and I had prearranged with the lighting <laughs> technician to have the chandeliers lowered when they announced our, our special guests, and then I, I launched into those chords. Recently, you got to play with such notables as Big Bird, Burton Ernie and the Muppets. Is this anything like what you had in mind when you thought I'm going to be an organist? No, not at all. This is not typical for any organist and and it's been a great experience and uh, I feel actually lucky that it, that I had a varied background doing all kinds of music and playing it on the Wanamaker organ in Philadelphia, the world's largest organ, because it really helped prepare me for some of the experiences that, that I've had with the choir, which have been all over the map as far as the musical styles and uh, where the people are from and, and uh, the kinds of things that the music involved as far as visual elements and all the other production elements. Some folks would say that is the organ in the U.S., the Wanamaker. It's certainly, it's the largest functioning pipe organ right now. They're trying to get the one in Atlantic City uh, back up and running because it, originally that was the largest. But the Wanamaker organ is, is huge and it's a great cultural institution and it's, it's definitely uh, on every organist's uh, radar as far as being an instrument that they want to hear at least once in their lifetime and play if, if they have a chance. So when you play, do you ever miss 
that organ, having that much power at your disposal, I guess is the word. I, I don't think I really miss it that much because it actually had some limitations because of the size and because of the fact that it's in such a strange place. We had to deal with cash registers ringing and and the buzz of the crowds, and it was a fun environment, uh, but it, it uh, was frustrating at times, and, uh, and the organ itself was really, um, it's so large, it can't play things like, like I'll be playing on this program, the Bach, Pasakai, and Fugue, you just couldn't pull, pull a piece like that off on that instrument. I do want to talk about this music and introduce it before you play it. But, but first, uh, uh, something really struck me from an interview that you gave some time ago, which is talking about trying to maybe save the reputation of the organ from just being the scary music or the creepy music. Right. That's, uh, is that from the days of silent films? I think that started the trend because before then, you know, in the early part of the 20th century, the organ was the main municipal instrument in cities that did not have a, a symphony orchestra. They had a resident organist and a, and a municipal organ. The organist would play Wagner transcriptions and uh, all kinds of other orchestral works and handle choruses without the choir. And so, yeah, it seems like during the silent era, there were so many of these horror movies and that was the easiest thing. And, and even since the, the silent movie era, uh, a lot of the organ has been typecast, certainly in the public eye, in, in movies and TV shows, as uh, an instrument that's associated either with boring funeral music or with macabre elements. When I grew up, there were still organ music in roller skating rinks. Yeah. <laughs> Just a couple of years, I remember, up, uh, it, a town not far from here, and so I had really great associations. <laughs> It, exactly, and, and hockey uh, arenas, uh, sports arenas of all kinds, baseball da, 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 stadiums. Da, da. Exactly, yeah, but it's really changed a lot. Uh, that Those organs are almost all silent now, and uh, they have all pre-recorded music in, in mm. those arenas. So uh, so we're kind of relegated to concert halls and churches, but there's been a renaissance in recent years of interest in the organ as a concert instrument and as a serious instrument. Were you always able to coordinate all four limbs, drummers and organists, to me are amazing because of what's going on in your brain and your body to, to use both feet and both hands. I think, yeah, when I played the piano as a kid, I would, my feet would always be going tapping, and maybe that, that helped me so that when I, <laughs> I took up the organ at 15, it was a little easier to me move my feet in, in time with my hands. But I never really thought about that. You're going to be performing a beautiful piece by Bach from actually early in his career as a writer, I understand. Tell me why you chose this one. The truth of the matter is that Jason Hardink, who's also performing on, on the concert and is uh, as the director for Nova, requested that piece. And we had originally talked about some other composers, but finally when he brought up that, it clicked for both of us. And uh, we felt that it was a good fit for this program. And it's one of my favorite Bach pieces of all time because it's fairly long. It's about 15 minutes long. and. Uh, that actually gives one license to do more with the piece, even though there are purists who think that Bach should be played all on one sound from beginning to end. But to me, that's, that wasn't Bach's intent, and it's, um, it certainly does uh, harm to the audience's enjoyment of the piece and understanding of the piece, uh, and, and also to, to my uh, feelings about the, the work. So I'll be taking a, doing a lot of things as far as changing the registrations, which you don't often do with, with the works of Bach. You usually set it up and then play, uh, because a lot of people feel that that's what he would have done in his days. He didn't have all of these 
registrational aids to change mm. the stops in uh, in the middle of the piece. Uh, but we can do that now. And uh, so each variation, there are 20 variations in the Pasakaya. Each one uh, has a different uh, a different sound or registration. So a work like this, he would have written for a concert setting. There's a lot of speculation about this. It certainly isn't a church prelude or postlude that just wouldn't fit in, in the typical uh, services that Bach would have played. And uh, some people think that like other Bach works that maybe it was never even intended to be performed at all. It was just an exercise, but I can't imagine that. I'm sure that he imagined it being played on, on, on an organ in a certain setting. But in his situation at that time, I'm not sure where it would have fit as far as its, its appropriate setting. The Pasacalia flows right into the fugue, and just before we have you play this, fugues, there's another mental exercise, talking about playing with all your limbs, writing like this. Do you think this was carefully plotted out on paper first by Bach, or do you think he actually improvised fugues at times? He certainly, he was capable of improvising fugues. We know that. This particular piece is so dense, it's actually what's... Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, has two counter subjects that are always going in tandem with the the uh, the theme of the fugue, and something like that is very very difficult to improvise. So I suspect that the entire work was kind of mapped out. Although it's very very clear that he also based this on some improvisations, and uh, the theme itself of the fugue, some people believe he borrowed from a French uh, organist, Andre Andre Rasson, who uh, wrote a a piece for a mass that was based on this uh, this little musical motif. Well, we've held off as long as we can. We have to hear the music. We'll let you take your place at the organ here in Libby Gardner Hall. This is Richard Elliott, principal tabernacle organist in Salt Lake City, performing Bach's Pasacalia and Fugue in C minor.
That was Passacaglia and Fugue in C Minor by Bach, performed by Richard Elliott, principal tabernacle organist. Richard, to me, that's almost like you just did magic tricks. It almost doesn't seem possible that somebody can do that. It's just amazing. Well, and I'm in awe of Bach and what he did with that simple, it's just an eight-bar uh, theme that starts out in the Pasakaya in the pedal, and then it, it gets adopted as the fugue theme. But it's, uh, it's, it's, he took ideas from other composers, but he did what nobody else could do with it. So that's magic to me. You can tell me if you're comfortable answering this. Uh, I don't mean to be too personal, but uh, Bach often used, he, he wrote SDG on his work, Soli Dei Gloria, to the glory of God. In some ways, I wonder if that's what you've done with your career, because do you ever think, man, I could have had this organ soloist career, but I'm stuck with these 350 people that I go everywhere with. Does that ever go through your mind? No, the, it's the opposite. We feel like we've already been to heaven, and so we, we wonder what's in <laughs> store for us, because playing that organ in the tabernacle and, and the one in the conference center and accompanying the choir is, is just a taste of heaven. So, But at the same time, yes, I, I do feel when I'm playing uh, music, especially like this Bach piece, the last thing on my mind is, is showing off uh, my technique, and, uh, and so I try to remind people that every often, that if, if a, a performer is playing Bach, most likely they're humbled by the experience of being uh, so intimate with that great, great music, and uh, it doesn't make you feel like you're better than anybody else. It actually makes us feel that uh, we have a long way to go, and, but we're grateful uh, for the, the inspiration that, that uh, contributed to that music. Thank you for uh, the years of training and the hard work that uh, let you share that with us. That's magnificent. And we're grateful to the Nova Chamber Music Series for helping make this possible that we could speak with you and, and hear this performance. Richard Elliott, thank you so much. Thank you, Stephen. It's been a great, great pleasure. From Libby Gardner Hall on the University of Utah campus, this is Highway 89. We are grateful to our master keyboardist this evening, Richard Elliott, principal keyboardist for the Tabernacle Organ. We're so grateful to the Nova Chamber Music Series for making this possible. And you can check them out online, see their performing schedule at novaslc.org. And we love to hear from you, our listeners. You can send comments and questions via email to highway89 at byu.edu. Highway 89 is a production of BYU Broadcasting in Provo, Utah. The recording engineer is Mark Waite, our producer, Jackie Tataishi. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.